Well, if you'll open your Bibles if, with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 40. These are some tender verses to my life. My favorite verse, my life verse is uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But these verses are dear to my heart because there was a time in my life where I was in a horrible pit. I was in the miry clay. I wanted to get out. I tried to get out. But every time I tried to do it my way, I just kept falling back in. And today I would like to tell you how God pulled me out of that pit, saved my soul, and changed my life. Um, if you're able to stand, would you stand? I just want to read three verses and have a quick prayer time and ask for God's help this morning. In Psalm chapter 40, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, God says that many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. What is it that people are, are going to fear that's going to bring them to that point where they put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm here today to tell you it's the miracle of a changed life. On my table out there with my CDs, I have some gospel tracks. If you don't have one of these... Uh, this is kind of my prayer card as well. But there's a picture of me and a country music singer, Hank Williams Jr., on the front. I'm the ugly woman on the right. My hair was down to here. I had the earrings and all the stuff I wore back in the day. But I didn't have a hair problem. I had a heart problem. And once my heart got right, then my hair got right, right? And so I know everybody didn't look like I did when they got saved. But when Jesus comes in, he changes you from the inside out. And so I want to share that with you today. Let's pray again. Ask for God to help us. Father God in heaven, privately I've prayed. And here publicly I acknowledge without you I can do nothing. But thank God I can do all things through Christ, which gives me the strength that I need. And I need your strength today. Please fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory and speak to each and every heart. And Father, I pray if there's somebody in church today, but they're not in Christ, that today would be the day that they would realize their need to put their trust and faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus for their salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection. And if any good comes out of this service today, we'll give you all the glory for it, for you deserve it all. In Jesus' precious and holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated, and I appreciate you standing. I once was lost in sin's dark valley, drowning in life's angry sea. Jesus' love has lifted me. Though the storm around me rages, I'm holding to his nail-scarred hand. He brought me out of troubled water and set my feet on peaceful land. Now I'm By faith I'm washed in Jesus' blood. I'll drink water clean and peaceful that flows down from the throne of God. Though the storm around me rages, I'm holding 
nail-scarred hand He brought me out of troubled water He set my feet on peaceful land He set my feet on peaceful land Well, well this morning I'm going to take you back to a long time ago when I was a little boy, and I grew up in North Carolina, right in the center of the state. I tell people I can drive three hours this way, and I can be at the mountains, or I can three, drive three hours this way, I can be at the beach. And so we were right there in the center, right next to Pinehurst, where they have the Golf U.S. Open. And one day, as a 13-year-old boy, I was outside, and I ran through the house, and my little mama was washing dishes that day, and she was always washing dishes, it seemed like, but we called her Little Jimmy Dean, the dancing machine, because she liked the clog, and she was just into that kind of thing, but she came up to about right here on me, and so when I ran through there, uh, she said, Bruce, stop, I want to talk to you for a second. I said, okay, Mom. I said, what do you want to talk about? And she said, Bruce, you're 13 years old and you know right from wrong, don't you, son? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I think it'd be a good thing for you to join the church. Now, I want to stop right here and uh, tell you that my mom was a very moral woman. She was the best cook in the world. She was the great little mama that I loved her dearly, but she was a lost church member. And in Sunday school this morning, I got to tell the folks that were here, I got to uh, lead my little mama to Jesus Christ when she was 80 years old. And so, but that was her thing. You need to join the church because back in those days, they would give you Sunday school pens. If you didn't miss a Sunday, you'd get a monthly pen. And if you didn't miss for a whole year, you'd get a yearly pen. And so I had a lot of those pens that I could put on my chest, but I didn't have any peace in my heart. But that day I said, okay, mom, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I said, but what, what, what do I need to do then? And she said, well, the first thing I want you to do is this. She gave me a gospel tract about a 12-year-old boy who had trusted Christ as his Savior. So I went in the bedroom, and I read that little gospel tract. I got very emotional after I read it. And so I walked back into the kitchen there, and I said, Mama, I think I'd like to do what this little boy did. She said, okay, I'll call the pastor. So later on that night, the pastor came by our house, and he and I went into the living room to talk. Now, I don't remember what we talked about because I cried the whole time I was with the man. If he opened the Bible and showed me verses of Scripture, I don't remember that. He probably did. I just don't remember it. If I prayed a prayer from these lips to trust Christ as my Savior that night, I don't remember doing that, but they said that I did. So I said, well, if they said I did, I must have. But I just don't remember any of that. So the next Sunday when I went to church, I was sitting way back in the back. They had an invitation time. They called my name. I came forward. I got baptized and I joined the church. So for many years of my life, I thought that if I died, I would go to heaven because I prayed a prayer. I got baptized and I joined the church. But prayer, baptism and church membership didn't leave heaven and die on a cross. Jesus Christ did that. So for all those years, my trust was misplaced. Now, I don't blame my mother. I don't blame the preacher because salvation is from your heart to God's ear because only God can see your heart. And I didn't get saved. I made a false profession of faith. And I went right back to being the same little old brat I always was. I could lie to my mom and dad, not blink an eye. Didn't bother me one bit. You know why? Because I didn't get saved. 
but I was deceived into thinking that I was okay. Now, God had given me the talent to sing, and I thought he gave me that talent so I could be rich and famous. As a little boy, before I even had a guitar, I would take a stick and a string, and I'd put it around my neck, and I'd stand in front of my mirror, and I'd play my records and, and learn every song, and I would bow to the mirror and say, thank you very much. You want to hear me do another song? I had a big imagination, and I would pretend there were thousands of people out there screaming and yelling my name, and then years later, that became a reality for me. No longer did I have a stick around my neck. I had a guitar and there were thousands of people out there screaming and yelling my name. So my dream was coming true. I'd always dreamed about being a big star and having a record deal. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, the capital of our state, about an hour north from us. I put a band together, got an independent record deal with Tone King Records there in Raleigh, and we were packing the clubs there. My band and I were very well known. And then anytime any of the big rock and roll or country bands would come through, we were the band that opened for them. So I'm playing and singing in front of thousands of people. I'm making a lot of money. Things are going good. But inside, I was empty. And I thought the reason I was empty is because I didn't have the major record deal. So I made a decision that I was going to move to Nashville, Tennessee in 1990. Now, I tried to get my band members to go with me, but they didn't want to leave North Carolina. And I said, well, if you won't go with me, I'm going to go by myself. They said, Bruce, there's no way you would leave all of this. We've got it made. I said, well, we may have it made, but I want more. You see, back in those days, I wanted a bus with my name on the side of it. I wanted everybody in the world to know who Bruce Fry was because it was all about me. I was so self-focused and full of myself. And now I just want people to know Jesus. But back then it was all about Bruce. And so I left on April Fool's Day of 1990. And headed to Nashville, Tennessee. Everybody thought I was playing a big joke, but I wasn't joking. And I left everything in North Carolina, moved to Nashville. And I was such a cocky rooster back in those days. I thought in my mind, well, I'll be there two or three months. I'll get a record deal. I'll get my bus. I'll be off and running. Everything will be great. But 1990 turned into 1997. I'd been there seven years. Knocked on every door, played every club, met everybody I thought I was supposed to meet. I did everything that I thought possible to get a record deal, and I still didn't have one. And all of a sudden, I'm broke, I'm tired, I'm discouraged, I'm wondering what life is really all about, I'm just having a hard time. And I was playing in a club downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and when I walked off stage one day, these two men approached me. And they said, Bruce, we've been watching you, not stalking you, but we've been watching you for about three weeks. We believe you have what it takes to be a star in this town, and we would like to help you. And I said, well, I could sure use some help. And they said, well, the first thing you need to do, you need to record a CD with about four songs on it, and it needs to be really high quality. It's probably going to cost in the neighborhood of around $12,000 to do it. Now, I had looked at my checkbook earlier that day. I had $43 left in my checking account, and I was 43 years old. And I said, guys, I don't have that kind of money. They said, we know you don't, but we do. And if you let us be your management company, we'll put this money behind you and help you get this deal. I said, okay. I said, here's the deal, fellas. I said, as soon as I know I have a record deal, then I'll be glad to sign any contract you want me to sign. But I'm not signing anything until I know I have the deal. And they said, okay. And so we got all the musicians lined up. We were going to be recording at a place called Studio B where Elvis Presley and all these country music stars recorded. I was so excited about that. 
And a few days uh, before we went into the studio, they called me on the phone and they said, Bruce, we've been talking to our lawyers and they said, if we don't get your name on a contract right now, we should back out of this deal. I said, well, that was not our deal. They said, well, that's the deal now. Take it or leave it. I said, forget it. Hung the phone up on them. I called my producer, told him what had happened. He said, well, you want me to cancel everything? And I said, no, sir, not yet. My mother worked at a bank back in Aberdeen, North Carolina. And I called her on the phone. I said, Mom, I need to borrow $12,000. Can you help me do that? And she said, yes, but you'll have to pay it back. And I said, I know that. Now, I didn't tell my mother that I was already thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. I had started using my credit card to pay my bills and things like that and pay my band members. And all of a sudden, I'm just deep, deep, deep in debt. And I borrowed this $12,000 on top of the debt that I was already in. We went into the studio that week. And while we were there recording that week, my producer really liked me a lot. And he said, Bruce, I'm going to help you. He said, I know everybody in town. As soon as we get this CD done, I'm going to share it with them. And then I'll give you a call. So about a week later, he called me on the phone. He said, Bruce, I've been sharing your music with all these record label people. They really like it. They want to hear you do a showcase. Now, when you do a showcase, you have to rent a building, the lights, the sound, put the band together and pay everybody, cater it, give them free food and free drinks. Every time I did one of those showcases, it would cost me several thousand dollars. And I'm thinking, Man, I can't borrow any more money. I'm so broke. I don't know what to do. I had sold my Harley Davidson motorcycle. I had sold a bunch of music equipment trying to keep my head above water. And then I remembered I had a comic book collection in my closet that I'd had since I was a little boy. I had Spider-Man number one all the way to 300 and something. I had Daredevil. I had the Hulk number one through six when the Hulk was gray before he turned green. I had some old, old comic books, and they were worth a lot of money. I knew that, but I wanted that record deal so bad, I sold my whole comic book collection for $4,500. I found out several years ago that uh, somebody got a million dollars for Spider-Man number one. I had that book. I had a lot of another number ones. I shouldn't have done this, Pastor, but I went on the Internet and I started adding up all the number one uh, comic books that I had and how much they were worth today. When I got to about three and a half million dollars, I had to quit. I thought I was going to shoot myself. But what God was doing, he was removing the idols of my heart out of my life. I had been doing a musical comedy show with a friend of mine and we were going all over the country doing that. And then Joan Rivers heard him. He took off with her. And I'm back in Nashville trying to resurrect my career. And uh, so he took my best friend from me. And then my, the girl that I had been dating for five years there in Nashville, she and I broke up. So he took my girlfriend. He took my best friend. He took my motorcycle. He took my comic books. And God was removing all these distractions out of my life. And so here I am. And I'm I'm just broke, but I'm trying to figure all this out and get this record deal thinking that's going to make everything better. And so I did, <clears throat> I did this uh, showcase. And when you do a showcase, you only have 30 minutes to try to win the hearts of these people and have them give you a record deal. And I sang my heart out that day. I entertained best I could. And then we had a meet and greet session. And then I stood at the door, and as everybody left, I shook their hand. I thanked them for coming. And this is what they said to me that day. They said, Bruce, you're a good singer. You're a good songwriter. 
We really enjoyed your show, but you're just not what we're looking for right now. I'm sorry. And it crushed me. Later on that night, when I went back to my apartment, I went in my bedroom and I fell on my knees beside my bed because I always believed in God. James 2.19 says, thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And on my knees that night, I didn't ask God to save me. I didn't ask for forgiveness. This is what I said to God. God, I thought you gave me this talent so I could be rich and famous. If that's not it, why am I here, God? What is my purpose for living? I really, really want to know. That's what I prayed that night. And I said, God, I'm so in debt that I can't even get it out of my mind. I don't know if I could ever get out of debt. Could you help me with that? Cried myself to sleep. The next day, I went and bought a Bible for $8. And I started reading the Word of God. And the more I read the Bible, the more God started convicting me of the sin in my life. But instead of doing what the Bible says, repentance toward God, faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd always done things my way. So I got out a piece of paper. I said, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing drugs. I'm going to stop partying. I'm going to quit doing all these bad things because I thought if I could just clean myself up, that I could win favor with God, get my record deal, go to heaven and live a wonderful life. But I was trying to work my way to God. And Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I was such a cocky rooster back in those days. If I could have worked my way to heaven, I'd have bragged about it when I got there. But I couldn't keep my list. Some days I cuss, some days I wouldn't, some days I drink, some days I wouldn't. So I was just having a hard, hard time. And I was so frustrated that one night I decided to have a pity party. You ever had a pity party? You don't invite anybody. You go by yourself, right? I had my pity party at this club called Skulls Rainbow Club in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, usually when I went into a club, I would put my name on a paper as soon as I walked in there. So they'd call my name up and I'd get up and sing, hoping somebody would hear me, give me a record deal. But I was having my pity party. I didn't feel like singing. So I was sitting at the, the end of the bar and I was sort of drowning in my misery, if you will. And the house band was playing. And all of a sudden, this music, country music star, Hank Williams Jr., walked through the door. And when he walked through the door, my first thought was, how can I use him? to get what I want. So I jumped up off the bar stool and I was going to make a beeline towards him. And as I walked by the bandstand there, the leader of that band grabbed me by the arm and said, Bruce, will you, will you get up here and sing so I can go hang out with old Hank? He's a friend of mine. And I was thinking, no, you need to do your job. Let me go hang out with Hank because I want him to help me. But I had sang there so many nights I felt obligated. So I said, all right. I grabbed the guitar and got on stage and he and Hank went and sat down. Now, the guys in the band said, Bruce, what song do you, would you like to sing? And I said, well, I said, Hank's here. I said, let's do one of his, but I don't like the way he does it. I want to speed it up, and I want to kind of do it my style. And he said, well, he might not like that. And I said, well, I don't care what he likes. And he's sitting right over there. If he doesn't like it, he can come tell me. I'm telling you, I was 150 pounds soaking wet and full of Bruce. I was just a mess. And so here we did the song and did it way too fast. And the next thing I saw was Hank Williams Jr. standing in front of me, shaking his head, going, boys, that's way, way too fast. Now, the guys in the band said, we tried to tell him, Hank, he wouldn't listen to us. I looked at him. I said, Hank, it's the way I do it. 
He said, well, let me show you how I do it. And he got on stage. We did the song over, did two or three songs together. And then he said, you don't mind if I sing one by myself, do you? And I said, I don't care. So I walked off the stage. And when I walked off the stage, he started singing a song. And halfway through that song, he started crying. And then he started sobbing. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. And I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, what's he crying about? He's got everything I've dreamed about since I was a little boy. He's rich. He's famous. He's got number one hit records. He's got a bus with his name on it. Everything that I wanted. And God showed me that night, Bruce, you can have all of this and you're still going to be miserable. He finally put his hands in there and he said, I'm sorry. I can't sing anymore. And he walked off the stage and I'm standing there. I didn't know what to say. Nobody did. And he put his arm around me. And he looked at me and he said, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, boy? I was just lost, so I just lied to him. I said, oh, sure, Hank, because I wanted to use him to get what I wanted. And we went and sat down at the bar. And the whole time I sat there and talked with him, I watched the tears stream down his face. And God didn't let me forget that. And while all this was going on, my brother got saved in 1977 in Sweetwater, Texas. He said, I found the living water in Sweetwater. Amen. And he had been praying for me for 21 years to be saved. Not only was he praying, but his wife and his kids were praying for me, his church family. My brother was a youth pastor, and he went all over the country preaching to young people in camps and such churches. And everywhere he went, he would beg people to pray. I had people praying for me all over the country and even out of the country. I had no idea that was going on. And so here I am. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. And three major things happened in January of 1998. The first one was this. I had prayed that night and asked God to help me with my finances. And a week later, after I had prayed that prayer, I got a check in the mail from ASCAP for $181.11. Now, ASCAP collects your royalties if you're on radio or television. I had been on the Matlock television show back in the early 90s. They paid me to do that show. I never expected another dime from that, but they used two of my songs on that show. So this was a royalty check. But I did the Matlock television show in Wilmington, North Carolina, and all of a sudden I'm getting a check from Denmark and Canada. I said, this is weird. So I showed the check to my friend down there at, uh, at the ASCAP Corporation, and she said, uh, Bruce, are you a member with us? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, are your songs copywritten? Are they published? Are they cataloged with us? I said, no. She said, then we don't owe you a dime. I said, why did I get that check? She said, I have no idea. And in my heart that day, as lost as I was, I thought, God sent me that check. Then she punched some numbers in the computer and she went, oh, my goodness. She said, Bruce, there's a lot of money in here for you, but you can't touch it. I said, why not? She said, because you don't have your paperwork in order. So she helped me get everything in order. And she said, now, Bruce, I'm going to submit this and you're going to get some money. I just don't know how much. January of 1998, I got a check in the mail from ASCAP. They went all the way back to the first time they aired that show and paid me up to that date. And it was for thousands of dollars. And, you know, back in the day when Bruce Fry had money in his pocket, whoo, life's a gas. Everything's great because I loved money. You see, I wanted to be rich and famous. But all of a sudden, 
God had taken the love of money out of my heart because when I got that check, I held it up to heaven and I said, God, thank you. This is really going to help me. But why am I still so miserable, God? The second thing that happened in January of 1998, where this picture was taken, this club, Skull's Rainbow Club, the owner of that club, his name was Skull Schumann. He was on his way to work at 4.30 in the afternoon, broad daylight. Two men jumped him, robbed him, and killed him. I went to his funeral a few days later, and it was a graveside funeral. A Catholic priest was performing that funeral. And he got up to the podium, and he started saying things like this. Well, our friend was not a church-going man. He was not a religious man, but he was a nice man. He did a lot of good things for people, and so I'm sure he's in a better place because he had, he had such a good heart. But I have been reading in the Bible where it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. You read down to verse 12, it says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that doesn't mean you can't be nice to people or do good things. It means your goodness will never get you to God. That's why you need his goodness, his righteousness applied to your life. And they kept talking about him having such a good heart. And I thought I had a good heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. God says your heart's so wicked you can't even know your own heart. And at that funeral, he was revealing to me personally, Bruce, you're not as good as you think you are. And your heart is wicked. And then everybody got in a line and they walked up to the, where the casket was already in the hole. They took a shovel full of dirt and threw it in there and went their way. I'd never done that, never seen it done, but I didn't want to be an oddball. And so I took my turn. And when I threw that shovel full of dirt and watched it fall in that hole, there was a wave of fear that came over me like I've never felt in my life. And I wondered where my friend was and I wondered where I was going. When I got back to my apartment that afternoon, I went in there, I opened my Bible, I got my list out, I got on my knees, and I said, God, I'm not reading enough, I'm not praying enough, I'm not keeping my list good enough, because I was trying to do it all on my own. And that was the night that I called my brother Sammy on the phone. And I said, Sammy, my career's at a standstill. My friend was just murdered. I've been reading the Bible, and I made a list. I'm trying to do better, and I just want to call and talk to you, brother. I knew my brother was a Christian. I knew he loved God. And he said, Bruce, he said, I'm so sorry all that's happened to you, buddy. And he said, but I love you and I've been praying for you. And I said, well, I know you have. I kind of figured that. And he started sharing some things with me and encouraged me to read the book of John. And he prayed with me over the phone that night. He called me a few days later and he said, Bruce, did you get a chance to read the book of John? I said, Sammy, I read it five times. And the more I read the Bible, the more God was convicting me. And so here I am, struggling, trying to do better. And then a few days later, I got a letter in the mail from my brother. And it was like a hug from North Carolina to Tennessee. And in that letter, my brother said this, Bruce, I love you, but I don't love you like God loves you. And he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ in that letter. He put some little chick comic book tracks in there because he knew I was a comic book kid growing up. And so I was reading my brother's letter. I was reading those comic books and I, I was reading the Bible. I was trying to keep my list. And my band members and I went to Wintergreen, Virginia every year. We did a ski resort there and we played from Tuesday 
through Saturday. And my old life, I'm ashamed to tell you, is that we would play for four hours, then party all night, sleep during the day, and it was a cycle. But this year was different. My band's doing the same old thing. I, had, I was the leader of the band, so I had my own bedroom. I had the door shut. I'm reading my Bible, trying to keep my list, reading my brother's letter, reading those chick tracks. And I did really good all week long. And a friend of mine was getting married in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I had to drive three and a half hours to uh, sing one song in his wedding. And I drove down there, sang that song, was packing up my guitar, getting ready to leave. And the pastor that performed that wedding walked up to me that day. He said, Bruce, I enjoyed your song today. Can I ask you a question, son? I said, yes, sir. What's that, preacher? He said, Bruce, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? And I started crying. And I said, preacher, I thought I did that when I was a 13-year-old boy, but I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to keep this list and I don't know what to tell you. I'm doing the best I can. He said, Bruce, you can do the best you can and die and go to hell. He said, God sent his best for you. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I said, yeah, I've been hearing about that. So he shared his testimony with me. He was a musician God had saved and called to preach. Then he prayed for me. I got in my car, drove three and a half hours back to Wintergreen. And when I got there, my band members gathered all around me. And they said, Bruce, you've been here with us all week. You're not partying with us. You're not drinking with us. Don't you love us anymore? I said, yeah, I love you guys, but I'm trying to change my life. Did you hear what I said? I'm trying to change my life, but I couldn't change it. So that night I said, I'll tell you what, to celebrate our last night, I'll have one drink with you. But don't ask me to have any more. And they said, okay. So I had one, which led to another, which led to another, which led to the next thing you know, I'm back in the muck and mire I'm trying to get out of. I woke up that Sunday morning so ashamed about what I'd done the night before. I got on my knees. I, I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't quit. God, please help me. My brother had invited me to come in here and preach. That Sunday night, so I woke up all my band members, told them to get their stuff together. I drove them back to Raleigh, three and a half hours. Then I drove another hour or so to my brother's church. And when I got there, they were all standing up singing the song. It's a real long, what we call a shotgun church in North Carolina. And so everybody was all packed in there. And I slipped in the back, hoping nobody would see me. My brother didn't know I was there. And he preached the word of God that night. And then when the service was over, he said, we're going to have an invitation. He said, if you're here tonight and you're not sure if you died right where you're standing, he said, why don't you leave and come down here and we'll open the Bible and show you how you can be born again into God's family by putting your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Won't you come? And he started begging people to come. And the music was playing. I was back there in the back. My hair was hanging in my face. I was weeping. I was crying. And under my breath, I said, Sammy, I can't do that. I'm Bruce Fry. I'm the hometown boy that went uh, from here to Nashville to be a star. Uh, My name's in the papers. Everybody knows who I am. I was so full of pride that I didn't move. And then he left the pulpit. And he walked down here like this. And he looked at his watch and he said, hey, I know it's late. I know it's time to go home. He said, but I believe there's somebody here who needs Christ. And I don't know who you are, but we're going to extend this invitation to give you time to come. I'm back there going, no, don't extend it. End it. Let me out of here. I'm I'm about to die. And then he realized nobody was coming forward. So he said this, well, we're going to end the service 
But if you're here and you're not sure that heaven's your home, would you at least raise your hand and let me pray for you before you leave? My hand shot up in the back. And with all the people, he couldn't see me. All he saw was my hand. He said, I see your hand. I'm going to pray for your soul. And he prayed. And I ran out of that church. And from the church to my mom and dad's house where I was staying that night was 15 miles. And I cried the whole way. And when I walked in the door of my mom and dad's house, my little mama was washing dishes. I told you, she was always washing dishes. And when I walked in there, I was standing behind her, and I was weeping, and I was crying. And she looked at me, and she said, son, are you okay? And I said, no, mama, I'm not okay. She said, well, can I help you? And I said, I don't think so, mom. I said, but there's one thing you can do for me. And she said, what's that? I said, mama, I've had a filthy mouth around you all these years. I'm so sorry about that, Mama. Will you forgive me for that? She said, oh, don't worry about that. I got used to it after a while. I said, Mama, you shouldn't have had to get used to hearing filth like that. You didn't teach me to talk like that. I'm begging you, Mama, will you please forgive me? And she said, okay, son, I forgive you. I said, thank you, Mama. Then I went back in my bedroom and cried myself to sleep where I'd grown up as a little boy. And I woke up the next day and my brother called me on the phone. He said, have you left yet? And I said, no, I'm getting ready to. He said, can I buy you some lunch before you go? And I said, sure. So I met him at a restaurant. We ordered our food. He started talking to me about the Lord. The tears started coming again. And when the food got there, I was crying so hard I couldn't even eat. And I said, Sammy, I'm embarrassed. I feel like everybody's staring at me. Can we just go outside? We went and sat down in his car, and that's when he opened up the Word of God. And he asked me this question. He said, Bruce, could you admit to God that you are a sinner. I said, yes, Sammy, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken the laws of God. And he said, that's right, because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he said this to me. He said, Bruce, do you realize because you're a sinner that you deserve to go to hell? I said, I don't understand that at all. I said, what are you talking about? And he showed me the verse Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That word wages means payment. That word death is not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. He said, Bruce, when you work a job and you get paid wages, you deserve those wages when you do the work, right? I said, yes. He says, well, God says you deserve hell because you do the sin. Clicked in my head. I said, well, I deserve hell then, brother, because I've done the sin. He said, that's right, Bruce. He said, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. If we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell right now. He said, but the verse doesn't end there. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though you deserve hell, you don't have to go there because Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven and took your hell on the cross for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth or demonstrated or showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he showed me Romans 10, 9 and 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then he showed me Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So how do you call on God? God, if you're up there, save me. No. The Bible says you call on him in repentance and faith. And repentance is very simple. The word repentance means a change of mind. 
Number one, you change your mind about yourself. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You can't do good enough to get to heaven on your own. Secondly, you change your mind about about your sin and realize your sin is against a holy and righteous God. Against thee and thee only have I done this evil in thy sight. Thirdly, you change your mind about your Savior and realize Jesus Christ is your only hope for heaven. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And after he explained everything, I understood it. He said, Bruce, would you like to bow your head and heart right now and put your trust in Christ alone as your Lord and your Savior today? Ask him to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart and life. Would you like to do that right here, right now? I said, no, Sammy, not right now. He said, okay. He put his hand on my shoulder and prayed for me. And I drove back to Nashville. And a week later, I was in my apartment one night. I had rented a movie, and this will tell my age. It was a VHS deal, you know. I put it in the player, popped me some popcorn. And right before I pushed play, I looked up to heaven, and I said, God, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't want to dishonor you in any way, but I don't want to think about you tonight. I don't want to think about heaven or hell or the Bible or none of that. I said, I feel like my brain's on fire. I just want to watch this movie and relax. I hope that's okay with you, God. And I pushed play. And I watched this movie. And the main character in that movie was such a great guy. Did all these wonderful things for people. And at the end of the movie, he died. And when the movie was over, I started crying. And out loud, I said this. If that had been a real person... He wouldn't be going to heaven. There was nothing in there about him trusting Christ as his Savior. And I knew that's what I needed to do. And I wept my way back to my bedroom. And I fell on my knees beside my bed. And I don't remember everything I said. But the first thing I said was this. God, I don't understand it all. But I'm miserable. And I know I need you in my life. And God, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done that was displeasing to you. God, please forgive me. And that night, I quit trying to keep a list, and I put my trust and my faith in Christ and Christ alone. And I felt like the Atlas, man. It was like the world just rolled off my back. I didn't know what that was then, but I know now it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And I looked at my clock, and it said 1230. Still on my knees, I grabbed a pen, and I wrote these words. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ because I didn't want to ever forget it at 1230 and put the date on there. And before I got off my knees, I said, God, from this day forward, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You lead and I'll follow you the rest of my life. And I crawled into the bed. I was still weeping and crying. And I said, God, I hope I said all the right words to you. But I realize now it's not the words that save you, but the attitude of your heart as you pray. Again, only God can see your heart as a 15, 13-year-old boy, if I prayed a prayer, it went from my head out of my mouth and never changed my life. But 43 years old, from my heart out of my mouth, boy, it changed everything because I finally trusted Christ and Christ alone. When I called my brother on the telephone to tell him about the decision that I made, he said he ran around the house, he screamed, he yelled, He fell on his face, he worshiped God, and then got up and took another lap. He said, I had a Baptocostal fit, hallelujah. (laughs) 
And then he called me on the phone. And he said, well, Bruce, he said, uh, when are you coming back to North Carolina? And I said, well, I'm coming back this weekend, actually. And he said, well, that'll be great. And my brother and his wife and children took me out, bought me a steak dinner and a birthday cake to celebrate my born-again birthday. And I was getting ready to blow the candle out. And I looked at my brother across the table. And I said, Sammy, do you remember a week or so ago on a Sunday night and you preached a message and you had an invitation and extended the invitation and and then uh, prayed for somebody who raised their hand in the back of the church. Do you remember that night, brother? He said, Bruce, I'll never forget that night. I said, Sammy, that was me. That was your brother who raised his hand. And he said, you got to be kidding me. And this is the first song I wrote after I got saved. Not too long ago, that was me. Every night, Saturday night, in dim motel lights. Not too long ago, that was me. That was me who had strayed, confused and afraid. Counting all the cost That was me Kneeling by his bedside Tears flowing from his eyes Not too long ago That was me Jesus Christ led him in Forgiving all his sins Not too long ago, that was me. And that was me who had strayed, confused and afraid, counting all the cost, that was me. A friend approached and said, I heard you found the Lord. I replied, he wasn't lost, that was me. My Savior wasn't lost, that was me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment this morning? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. If you were to die right where you're sitting right now, are you sure you go to heaven? If you have a question about that or a doubt about that, like my brother prayed for me over 25 years ago, I'd like to pray for you. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I won't tell a soul. But I would sure like to pray for you. Is there anybody I could pray for like that this morning? Bruce, if I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. God bless you. I saw your hand. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I'll acknowledge you and we'll move on. Bruce, pray for me. Because if I die, God bless you. I see your hand right there. Thank you. Anyone else at all? Bruce, pray for me. Because I'm just not sure. God bless you. I saw your hand there too. Thank you. I see your hands down here. You can put your hands down. Thank you. 
Anybody else? I'm looking. I don't want to miss you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else at all? Bruce, pray for me. Because if I died right now, I'm not sure. God bless you. I see your hand, young man. Thank you. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for speaking to hearts today. And Father, I pray for these that have raised their hand, not sure that heaven's their home. And Lord, I'm grateful that they're giving me the opportunity to pray on their behalf. And I pray they wouldn't do like I did and stay in their seat when the invitation time comes. I pray that they would come forward and let us open the word of God and lead them to the one who can save their soul and change their life. How many of you have somebody on your heart right now you're praying for that you want to be saved? Would you raise your hand? Well, this invitation is for you too. If you've got somebody you've been praying for for a long time, I want you to come during this invitation and pray for them. And then the third part of this invitation is this. Maybe you're here and you're born again and you're saved, but you just have not surrendered everything to God. My brother, when he got saved, it was a year later and he just totally said, God, you can have my life. I got saved and surrendered my whole life that first night. So if you're here and you say, Bruce, pray for me, because I know I'm saved, but I don't know if I'm just totally surrendered, but I want to be. Would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Would you stand? Your head bowed and your eyes closed as our dear sister starts playing on the piano. If you raised your hand, you're not sure heaven's your home. Would you just come? Pastors down front here. There's some other people that are down here and they'd be glad to open the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to hope. You can know. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know ye have eternal life. You raised your hand. There's somebody you've been praying for for a long time. Why don't you come? Find you a place at the altar. And pray for that one. If you come to the altar and you need help about your salvation, once you get to the altar, will you just raise your hand? Say, Bruce, send somebody to help me. I need somebody to talk to. As God leads, would you come? I can tell you one thing. The devil does not want you to be saved. He wants you to die and go to hell. That's where he's headed. But God loves you. And he wants you to be saved. He wants you to live with him in heaven forever. But it's your choice. You can either receive the Savior or reject the Savior. It's your choice. If you raised your hand, you're not sure heaven's your home. Don't be scared. We love you here. We want to help you. Father, some people have come, and only you know why they came. But there's some that have raised their hand, and they still not come. 
And you say in your word, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, they wouldn't have raised their hand if you weren't speaking to their hearts. So I beg you, give them the courage to come so we could help them today. There's no peace like the peace of God in the heart. And I know I'm going to heaven and I want these other folks to know. But they have to make that choice. I can't make it for them. 